Right now in Australia, the state of Victoria is having their elections until 26 November. Victorians have been through some of the longest lockdowns, restrictions and mandates in the world, all because medical authorities would not allow proven natural prevention and treatment options to be used against COVID. Don't allow this to happen again. For freedom, prosperity and health, vote one for Dr. Isaac Golden and the Health Australia Party team. To find out more, listen to episode 126 of this podcast or visit www.healthaustraliaparty.com.au. Hello, Eugenie here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit about our two guests, homeopaths Denise Strages and Alistair Gray. Denise served as Executive Director and Head of Clinical Affairs for the Centre for Homeopathic Education in New York City, bringing together the team and program that it is now, the Academy of Homeopathy Education. As Executive Director of CHE, Denise expanded the professional program to include a two-year full-time course, the only of its kind in the United States. She is fiercely committed to raising the bar in academic and clinical training for all homeopaths around the world. In addition to the bustling, low-cost clinic run by the school, Denise founded a not-for-profit charity for the homeless, addicted and underserved populations. She successfully forged a partnership with a major medical institution in New York City and currently practices with and teaches doctors and medical residents in classical homeopathy and clinical applications. Alistair Gray teaches at and heads up the Academic Operations Course Development Research and Learning Technologies Department at the Academy of Homeopathy Education. In addition, he holds various consulting roles, including academic consulting roles at Endeavour College Australia and also College of Health and Homeopathy in New Zealand, also educational consulting roles for National Centre for Integrative Medicine in the UK, and consulting to many organisations on e-learning worldwide. Previously, he headed up the Homeopathy Department at Endeavour College, later the Bioscience Department, and he was the National Academic E-Learning Manager. He has lectured under and postgraduate integrative medicine, CAM, homeopathy, and naturopathy for 20 years, including theory and philosophy, case-taking and management, ethics, business practices, and scope of practice. He's a regular seminar and conference presenter worldwide and the author of 23 books and numerous articles on primary research in natural medicine. This was a very fun interview, and I know that you're going to love it. Let's jump right in. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout podcast, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now, your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today, we are hanging out with Denise Strages and Alistair Gray, the founders of the Academy of Homeopathy Education, and probably two of the most fun homeopaths you will ever get to talk to. Welcome, guys. Hey. I like that. Lovely to see you again. <laughs> yes. Yes. We go way back. <laughs> we go way back. We do. Uh, Al was actually one of my lecturers at the College of Natural Health and Homeopathy in New Zealand, formerly known the Bay of Plenty College of Homeopathy, all very long words. But let's kick it right off, guys. Tell me how you got into homeopathy. You start. Me? Yeah. Uh, a thousand years ago. At least. Um, when... Um, I got into homeopathy because I was crook, as they say in Australia, uh, like the dog's hind leg. And I had a number of really miserable symptoms, mainly hay fever, pretty grumpy. I was in my late teens, early 20s at um, 
grumpy just, and snotty. Just grumpy and snotty. <laughs> so attractive. And um, <laughs> and it was suggested that I go and see a homeopath in, of all places, Omaru. And I drove from Dunedin, where I lived at the time, listening to very bad Joan Armour trading records. And I drove to Omaru and had a consultation with this very strange woman who asked me for two hours a whole lot of ridiculous questions. <laughs> I was deeply offended. I had no understanding of the relevance of those questions. Uh-huh. She gave me, she went into a cupboard and opened up a cupboard of something, did something, turned around and handed me a cup. And I have not sneezed again. No, that's not true because I have started sneezing yeah. in the Philadelphia spring. But um, that changed my life, that experience. That was in 1988. Wow. <laughs> and you is not as dramatic nor as snotty. Um, I came into it. Most people come into homeopathy, like our students and a lot of my clients, they find homeopathy because of their own suffering, right? And yeah. so many of our students are, oh, you know, my child... <laughs> Don't let me interfere with your with your glass of wine. Um, students will come and say, "Oh, I found homeopathy because I like Al. You know, I had hay fever. I had this, and then homeopathy, you know, was what really helped me." For me, it was completely different. I came in through an academic back door. I was about to start a PhD in clinical psych research, and this was in 1993. And um, my idea then was to look at how, when the body is sick, the mind changes, or when the mind is off, the body changes. I mean, this was before people talked about mind-body medicine, like, without saying, what are you talking about, right? So this was at a, it was a very early stage. So I'm about to begin this program, and I, and I met this woman, and she was a psychologist, and she said, do you really think you're going to get to do that in this research program? And I was really naive. I said, well, yeah. And she said, no. And she said, do you know about homeopathy? I had never heard of homeopathy before. And I said, no, not at all. And she, she said, go look for it. Now, at that time, there was no internet. There were, you know, I, I would go to bookstores looking for it. And finally, I went to a hippie bookstore and I found a, one of Kent's books. And that was it. I, I started reading about homeopathy. I withdrew from that program and the rest is, the rest is history. But I don't think I took a remedy for uh, three years. That's amazing. Right? It's weird. You don't hear about that. No. I that, know. I, I've heard, I've kind of heard mm-hmm. the, the fall in love with the intellectual part of yeah. it. Yeah. But I've, the not taking the remedies. Amazing. I don't even know where you found one back then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was so abstract <laughs> to me. And then, you know, then, and then you, it wasn't like you could buy, like here in the United States, you can buy um, 30C potency um, for, say, the top 50 remedies in health food stores, in, you know, hippie groceries and stuff. But, mm-hmm. but but you couldn't do it then. You had to find, like, a place to buy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had kind yeah. of, I came in through the back door. There you go. Yeah. I didn't know all of that. And, and now you guys have got this amazing uh, homeopathic academy. Tell us the story of how this all came about. Oh, well, we it was violin. an accident. We need violins for that. It, it wasn't, I didn't mean for it to happen. <laughs> okay. So, so how familiar are you with... Um, uh, disco in the 1980s oh, yeah. in America and Italian girls with big hair and hot curlers. Is this, you familiar with this phenomenon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that was me. And so I had big hair and I used to set my hair in hot rollers and use a curling iron. And so I, I stopped being able to really feel hot. And so there was a homeopathy school that got thrown at me like a hot potato and I caught it 
And because of the hot rollers and the disco, I forgot to throw it. Anyway, but um, what actually <laughs> happened was um, our school used to be a part of a, a British school that I taught for for um, some time. And um, they started a school in the United States back in 2010. And uh, I started teaching for them in their school in New York. And then in 2013, I took over directing that program. And then in 2015, yeah, I think it was January 2015, um, they asked me if I would take it on in all of its splendor. It wasn't, it wasn't doing well at the moment. It was, it was struggling. And um, I did it because... What? what were you going to say? No, you say. You go. No, you go. Well, it, um, it, it, it's amazing synergy because I was, I don't know if you know, but I was working in Brisbane in head office at Endeavour College of Natural <coughs> Health. And I was running the e-learning, the academic side of the e-learning division for all of those thousands of naturopathic and nutritional and acupuncture students. <coughs> and I got a message. Ping. And we had met years before. Yeah. And Denise yeah. was asking a whole lot of really amazing questions that no one asked. And she was saying, you know, questions about modern learners, uh, what's the future, how do we go about a, a dynamic, contemporary course in homeopathy, how are we going to reach people, when do they want to study, what do you think? No one ever asked me any of those questions. And so, you know, one thing led to another, and I ended up in America in 2015. And, um, but we spent all of 2014 really working on, well, how could we do this, you and, know? And, and there's something else really kind of cool about it. I spent from 1998, 1999, no, eight, to, well, for 15 years, teaching homeopathy everywhere where I could. I never said no to anybody that said, can you come and teach? I flew all around the world. I flew to Ireland. I flew to um, India. I flew to Thailand, uh, Malaysia a thousand times, um, the US, Boulder, everywhere. Wellington, Tauranga, <laughs> Christchurch, Auckland. Wellington landings. <laughs> those those landings. And, oh, there, and yes. I, I, I so take there. Drama mean for that. Yeah, but 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 I I taught so much homeopathy, and then I found I was talking to someone that had taught as much homeopathy. Not as much. Wow, essentially. I mean, a lot, but not as much as you. I mean, let's be fair. And then we had this amazing opportunity to go. Well, you know, if if it's now our turn, yeah, you know, then let's do it right, mm -hmm. you know. And 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 I thought at the time it was kind of like, um, with the with the amount of experience that I'd had in in distance learning, and that was back in you know, 2010 through to 14. Um, Back in the back dark, in ages. dark ages. But I tell you what, you know, <laughs> but, but that, that, that grounding um, at Endeavour, I, mm. I, 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 I hated it and I loved it. It was so good. Mm. You know, because I learned a lot. I learned so much in those years. That's the thing about, mm -hmm. like, there's there's teaching and then there's running a school. Mm -hmm. And and I knew, so for me, like, I had been a teacher. You know, you're a teacher, you're a gun for hire. You go in, you land, and you're sort of the new person. Everybody loves you, and you do no wrong, and they always go back to the regular teacher. Like, ah. and But if you're the person who's got to hold it, you know, you're not that flavor of the month or the one who comes in and tells fun stories with a different accent. And so we had to we had to really think about that because we knew what it was like to teach for other people. And there were all these programs around the world that we had taught for. And what did we like and what didn't we like? And, and here was the thing. This was really important for us because and 
why do so many people study homeopathy, they spend money, they spend time, they spend energy, and then they don't have a business at the end of it? Like, yes, what is that? that's such a Isn't worry. It? And we need good homeopaths. And so we, when we decided we would do it, and I wasn't given a lot of time to make the, to make the choice, I went to London to teach. And I get out of the tube, I meet my boss, we go and we're having tea. And he says, you're going to take over the school in America. I was like, who? I'm looking around like there's got to be somebody else here. It's not me. So I went into, I went in and I'm, you know, I have to spend the weekend teaching and I'm so distracted. So I'm on Skype text with him and one of my colleagues here. I'm like, okay, you guys, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And we have to decide by Sunday night or something crazy like that. And so we, so I did, I decided it. And then the rest, it just fell into place. It really, it really did. And we made the commitment and we said, we're going to take apart homeopathy um, education. We're going to deconstruct the whole thing. We're going to take it. And we're going to smash it on the floor, and we're going to rebuild it from all the things that we loved that we've seen. We're going to try to make better. Um, we're going to do our best to not make the mistakes that some other people have made. Because, you know, the the thing with homeopathy is that some of our favorite teachers are amazing teachers, and they tell great stories, but they they don't have educational experience, right? So yeah. you mentioned you interviewed Kelly Callahan, right? So Kelly who's like all around one of the coolest people ever on the planet, hands down. So Kelly Callahan teaches with us and um, her background is in education. It's actually in experiential education. And so when we met Kelly and we realized that not only was she a homeopath and and personable and all of that, but she had background in education, we're like, dude, Hello. come on. <laughs> Hello, come to mama and papa. And so Kelly's been working with us ever since. It's been She's amazing. Awesome. So we made mm-hmm. this commitment to educational mm-hmm. standards, and the goal was mm-hmm. to raise those standards in homeopathy by raising educational standards. Like, I have this 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 mm-hmm. thing that's really near and dear to my heart, which is you can never blame some someone for something they've never been taught. You can't say you don't do a good job at this if nobody ever took if no one ever taught them they haven't had that opportunity. And so we had to figure out how did we take the experience that we had and bring people in and and show them some of the nuances. So you know what I think that you you because you thought well for me you you are the driver of the clinical side of what we do. Yeah. But it's all about mm-hmm. clinic from day one. From day clinic, one. Clinic, clinic, and so. By the time yeah. I think you guys must be the only college that does that. Like, I don't know of anyone else around the world that does what you guys do. And I'm so jealous. Like, I feel like I want to go retrain as a homeopath just so I could have that. Because, you know, in our four years of full-time training in New Zealand, I think we only did about five cases before we graduated. Oh and goodness. I know when I inter- oh, I listened to an interview that you guys did with Kelly, and I think she said that she hadn't done any before mm-hmm. she had graduated she'd observed some cases but um that's really shocking we've got got students that that leave us with full practices and close the door because they've got so many people and nobody else does this i know well and part of it is it's it's hard to do well i remember (laughs) i remember one night in new york staring out the window you were asleep and i was staring out the window and i was going how because i think you planted the seed in my head and I was going how do we do this with the technology and then I suddenly oh, yeah. realized and it was it was three o'clock in the morning it was back then go to meeting right. and I realized that we could run a live distant or virtual clinic with virtual students yeah 
and it didn't matter where the practitioner and the patient were. If I got that right? Yeah. Or the supervisor. Mm -hmm. But we mm -hmm. could have live, mm -hmm. supervised, mm -hmm. distant, quality practice. And we had to do it. Because here's yeah. the thing. Because people would say to us, like, I don't know how it is in Australia now, but in America, there's this weird idea that you can't actually make a living as a homeopath. I mean, that's all I've done now for much of my adult life. I raised two kids as a homeopath, you know, and doing teaching and stuff. Mm -hmm. But but that that was my job. And and I realized because when we started mm -hmm. having the discussion, it was like, well, why did you wind up being successful? And, and, and our answers were both like, because I had to. And, and that was like, mm -hmm. oh, if you have to do it, you're going to find a way to do it. But what makes you sort of what's the bridge between the drive and the and the successful outcomes because if you have to do it and you're not good at it that doesn't you know that doesn't pay the bills and i realized that for me i was super lucky so when i trained i i actually did my foundation studies a couple times and i wound up at um at a program that had an incredible clinic attached to it and i and i started working there while i was still finishing foundation studies right. and i got to see a gazillion clients so I, I was just put into practice. It was like, oh, this is your job. You come in, you sit down, and clients come to you, and you do your job. And then on Fridays, mm -hmm. I was the acutes person. And so I because I was the low man on the totem pole, low girl on the totem pole, what would happen is on Fridays when all the other practitioners left, the person, her name was Paula, and she had a really beautiful voice like this. She had a hand truck, like a tro little trolley thing. And all the charts for five practitioners, for all the stuff that had to be done, would come in. She'd wheel it in, pull it out, and leave me with a stack on the floor. And she'd say, goodbye. And I would have to figure out, like, what am I going to do with all these sick people? And that was that was it. That's how I, that, I mean, I had no choice, you know, and I had no other job, and nobody else was going to feed my kids. So, um, so that was a conversation that we had, was yeah, we about did. sort of necessity and experience. So I did my 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 master. I did a masters in uh, the mid two uh, the mid two thousands. How do you say that? The mid two thousands. Mid two thousands. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, okay. and I ended up kind of formalizing what I thought I knew. And I did a piece of research. And in that piece of research, I interviewed thriving practitioners, and they all said the same thing. And it was just so obvious that what number did they one, say? they said I needed to make it happen. Yeah. But they said the quality mm -hmm. that got them through was tenacity. And in other, in other words, mm -hmm. um, all the schooling, all the, um, all the um, excitement, all the learning that they'd done, all the reading, all the Kent, all the whatever, um, it came down mm -hmm. to uh, my choice and do I need to make this happen or not. And I, thought, I found that really kind mm -hmm. of a bit scary and a bit, but, uh, a bit sobering, actually. And a bit scary, but to me, what it suggests is if you want to um, get a, a, a skilled person through and busy at the end, they've got to do the thing mm -hmm. that they're learning to do over and over and yep. over and over and over again. Repetition and skill building. Absolutely. So, I think it's that's a segue to AJ Chen. Oh yeah. Okay, before we get there, so this is the thing that we might have talked about with Kelly on our podcast ages ago, because it's changed even since, because we keep thinking, well, how can we 
how can we deliver the most clinical training? Because I think that's what does it. It's just mm-hmm. over and over and over again, repetition of skills. And now Absolutely. the average AHE student graduates with m- having seen more than 100 cases. So like live, a sick person comes in, the case is taken, they participate in the analysis 100 times. That's crazy. Well, it's pretty amazing. And so if they're leaving with, and they've that taken, what, what do you think, maybe 40 of those 100 or 30 of those 100? Or more? No, 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 no. Because it would be observation for most of them. Then they get into their their supervision. Mm. But like we had a student last year who graduated. She had seen 53. She had 53 clients in her own practice when she graduated and a closed practice within six months. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That is so incredibly special, absolutely. And um, to have that all included in your course is wonderful because I remember I had to pay my supervisor, I think it was $90 per supervised case that she did. So maybe luckily it was only five because it would have cost a fortune to continue you know, paying her. I had to pay her her full hourly yep. fee for her to supervise my cases That's that it. I was doing. So for you guys to have that included, oh, it's there Phenomenal. is a problem. I mean, there's advantages and disadvantages with every clinical model. But the disadvantage of what you experienced mm-hmm. was cost and, and numbers, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. so, I don't know, we've, we've been able to, you know, touch wood. Yeah, we've touch been wood. able to crack that nut. It's been good. And then, and then this pandemic happened. You've heard about this, right? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yes. We were actually in New Zealand and um, we came back a week early. We were actually, we were meant to go to Wahiki Island for our last week because Alistair is from New Zealand. So we go a few times a year and we, we were there and it was clear that, you know, it wasn't looking good in the United States. We came back and um, I happened to um, serve a client population that was ground zero for the first big explosion of COVID. And so we would have landed from New Zealand on Thursday morning. And then by say Monday, I had 45 COVID cases in my practice, 45 clients. And at that time, no one knew what was going on. It just was like a ton of bricks coming down. And I thought, there's nothing I can do on my own. I couldn't keep up. I was going 20 hours a day. So I reached out to a handful of my colleagues and um, a student of ours uh, who just graduated, but she was a student at the time, and she had these sort of digital, um, uh, uh, kind of what would we, digital organization skills. She was able to help us create uh, mm-hmm. an organizational structure so that we could support people who were struggling. And so the Homeopathy Help Network was born. Gosh, we would have gotten back from New Zealand on say March 10th or 11th, and March 22nd was the first case that we took. We've seen over 2,000 cases since then. Wow! So we're an all-volunteer group wow. uh, around the world. Actually, we have someone who's in. Well, she lives in Canberra. Ruth. Lives Ruth. In, yeah, Ruth lives in Canberra. But Shout she's, out to Ruth. She's yeah. currently hey, Ruth. in. She's tramping in New Zealand. Yeah. South of New Zealand. Um, but we have, so we support all over the world. We've got an all-volunteer task force, um, an administrative team, a research team, and then the practitioner team. 
and we're training students, um, so students who reach a certain level of their training, so that they can participate under supervision in this process. And um, it's been incredible. We've learned a lot. And it has allowed us to take that infrastructure that we built just to deal with the crisis, to try and help when, the, you know, the medical mm -hmm. system couldn't do anything. And it was like, okay, well, homeopaths, let's do what, you know, Hahnemann started doing before the turn of the, you know, 19th century. Important to say, however, of course, that we are integrating all of our treatments right. <laughs> with conventional medicine. Everything we are not. We don't, we don't, of course, we of course. And seek your right. medical practitioner's advice. A hundred percent. All of that. And, and, actually, and you know, it's interesting. And, and not just to say that to sort of do a cover your bum, but um, we really believe in integration. Like, so one of the questions that we talked about um, for this uh, conversation was about what do we see in the future. And what we see in the future is a completely integrated medical system. And so in our um, student mm -hmm. body, we're about 25% licensed medical practitioners yep. and 75% non. And we are working, yeah, wow. we're working really hard to develop a, um, a strong bond between the allopathic medical system and homeopathy to, to support that system um, and to support clients. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we encourage whenever possible some level of integration and and some people feel like you have to be a renegade and say no we're only going to do it one way and we say well the more we try and work together the more people see what we do like we each work to our strengths you know and so if well we didn't even talk about this before the podcast but that this is my seventh episode now i think and literally every single episode we have talked about this i also feel it is so important that we integrate the two you know it doesn't have to be one or the yeah. other and um this was not even scripted or anything i didn't even tell you that this is one of the messages that i promote yeah. because um you know we just had uh, a mum on uh, and her daughter was in hospital with meningitis and her five-week-old baby oh, uh, this was over a year ago now she's oh. well but uh listen a couple of podcasts back and she was in hospital that was the best place for yeah. her to be but she had her belladonna there and her doctor was supportive wow. and she was using it and the next day the girl was so much better so imagine a world where we were able to have the okay. homeopathics or, or the acupuncture or the herbs in the hospital setting alongside conventional medicine and i think you have a not-for-profit a clinic that you have set up, Denise. Can you tell us a little bit about that, which, which is alongside conventional medicine? Yeah, right? so um, that's actually how we started our foundation. Our charity was started in 2015 because we were asked to provide education to um, uh, residents and interns at a medical school, at a conventional medical school in New York City. And so in order to facilitate that, we started this charity so that we had a structure for it. And um, when I said, okay, I'll go, let me go and observe. You actually came once and you said, I'm never going back again. <laughs> I hated it. It was... Kiwi boy out of his death. Yeah, totally. <laughs> this was, so um, just Actually, that wasn't, it, that wasn't the entire thing, but anyway. It wasn't, but I mean, yeah. if you think about it, the, the context was this was in a homeless shelter oh, in yeah. New York City, um, uh, just outside, mm -hmm. just on the border of Harlem. There were people who were experiencing homelessness, people who were really, really struggling. You had people with drug addiction, people who were, who had scabies. I mean, you name it. It was really, really tough. And I, and um, so I went in because the job was at first to just train these docs to do this work. And after two times of going, I was like, yeah, this is not. A so these are medical doctors that you went in to tell them how to use homeopathics alongside what they were yeah, doing? Yeah, and it became really clear that wow. the population that they were treating was 
we couldn't use just a, you couldn't just learn acute remedies for diarrhea and coughs and so forth because these people came in with such complex issues that we really needed to dig in. Mm-hmm. So I went every Wednesday for five years up until the pandemic, actually. Wow. And um, and so I learned a lot, and we learned about the ways in which homeopathy can support the medical system. And so and and it was interesting because the interns and residents that would come through that knew nothing about homeopathy would see these follow-ups. So I would be working in the medical office. So this doc, you know, people would come in, she would be doing their, you know, their intake, and I would be taking their case at the same time. I'd have about 15 minutes to do, maybe sometimes 20 if I was lucky, a complex chronic case while they're getting their medical treatment. So the interns and residents would come and they're like, how is this person not taking their Crohn's medicine anymore and saying that you fixed it? Or what about this lady with the vertigo? And what about the guy who put his feet in water? Oh my gosh, this case. That that was the case. You were there for the intake. I know. This guy. So I still am in touch with him. That was one of the first cases that we saw. The doc sent him to us. She said, I don't know what to do with this guy, but you homeopaths will totally appreciate this. So this man was living in, so he was experiencing homelessness. He was living in a a shelter situation, but he had his own room. So it was in a, you know, in sort of a, um, yeah, he had his own room in this, um, uh, what do you call it? Anyway, it doesn't matter. But he, yeah, like a halfway house kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And so uh, one night Mm -hmm. he woke up in the middle of the night. He got up to go to the loo. He put his feet down and there was cold water. There had been a flood and there was cold water up to the knee. A couple days later, he had a heart attack. And never well after that. And then he developed all sorts of sequelae and complications related to that. And the doc kept saying to me, every time he comes in, he says, I've never been well since I had my feet submerged in cold water in the middle of the night. And all of this happened. Who, I mean, what are you going to do with that in a medical clinic? The homeopath loves that. Exactly, exactly. Whereas the homeopath's like, like, yes, I can work with that. You did really well. And he... He had yeah. never heard of homeopathy. He would come in. He would he would come for his visit, and if it was on a day I wasn't there, they had the clinic twice a week. He would say, "Where's the Where's that lady? Where's that lady?" Because he knew that I understood that he put his feet in cold water, and mm. everything went off the back of the truck from that point forward. Mm. It was incredible. It's really wow. interesting because all of wow. throughout that time, you were going up the Upper West Side, and I've been working with a bunch of English folks, and the English folks are the uh, national. Uh, Center for Integrative Medicine, NCIM. And uh, that's a, uh, a, an initiative run out of the UK to train, in, um, to train uh, physicians or licensed medical practitioners to understand complementary medicine. And now it is this sort of extraordinary situation where complementary medicine practitioners and conventional physicians speak the same language. Yeah talk the same language, are totally focused on the same thing, and it's a two-year um, um, d- uh, a postgraduate diploma that we set up and ran. And my experience there has been just been amazing to really understand the strengths and weaknesses of these, in that context, mainly physicians who are, are locked into the system. Doctors are amazing. They've got brilliant hearts they know you know mm. what it's about and they are restricted con- very constrained about what they can and can't do depending on the system they're in they might be in australia or they might be in the us and they might right. be in the uk yeah. but you know don't don't mistake you know what what 
sometimes happens with are, are these good people and so that's been really important learning yeah. for me mm-hmm. as well because uh, oh and the other reason I said that is because this week I just got an email from Jackin Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine now in the research world there's a whole lot of peer-reviewed journals that accept and, and publish uh, complementary medicine research really good robust research and the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Jackin Alternative and Complementary have just changed their name. You're kidding. Yep, they've just lost the alternative. Really? Yep. And there's Oh, that's brilliant. Well it is actually. I believe it's brilliant because it's the Journal of Integrative and Complementary Medicine. That's their new approach. Time mm-hmm. has changed. Yeah. This is no longer the nineteen seventies. Mm-hmm. Nope. You know? And even though there might be mm-hmm. some students or there might be some practitioners that are fiercely determined that they're going to find another way this is not where... The well, because are you going to do cataract surgery? Let's just be real. I, I could do that. You could. I mean, come I'd on. I'd be really good. <laughs> or broken bones. Um, I would not like to volunteer for that, Me neither. <laughs> I went with a... a I got a steady hand. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to do that. I think at the end of, at the, end of mm. the day, you know, if, our, if we always keep in mind that our highest goal needs to be our patient in mm. front of us then we need to put ego aside and do what is best for the patient. And if we can just all as healers, as um, therapists, just keep that in mind. It is all about the client and uh, the the patient. Just putting aside all that ego and everything else, work with whoever you need to work with, do whatever you need to do to help that person in front of you. That really is all that matters at the end of the day. Don't you think, I mean, it's so interesting because it's not just like sometimes you send people to the doctor. I need to know what's happening with you. Let's, you know. Absolutely, yeah. I do as well. But you know what's interesting too, and some of my clients mm. are amazed when I do this, or, or students when I tell them that I do this. Send them to the acupuncturist, or send them to the physiotherapist, or send them to the cranial sacral therapist. Like, wait, you're, you, mm. you can't. Sometimes you need to fix different levels of what's, you know, happening Absolutely. with the person. I love that. I, I mean, today I did. And there's so much chronic disease oh these days. Goodness. You often need an integrated yeah. approach. You can't just pretend to be the end all and be all. We need to be humble, and we need to. You know, get whatever's the best result. But there's for a big fat butt, and the big fat butt is. Wait, you're not talking about me, are you? No, I'm not no. talking about the butt. <laughs> oh, sorry, I couldn't resist. One T, not two T. <laughs> okay, good. The big butt is that that's not how homeopathy has been taught traditionally, and oh, so, for true. example, yeah. if you're talking about this patient with diabetes and this condition and that complication and this behaviour comes to the homeopath the focus somehow is still on finding the correct or the right remedy. The similimum. It's just, it is, it is, mm-hmm. it is kind of bizarre Can that we, that's the focus. And yeah. all of the case management has been about, oh, let's assume that this patient is a client is only seeing me. Well, I don't see any clients that just see me anymore. But there's something else too, because you, you said something really important. Wait, were you not done? Oh, no, Sorry. I was totally done. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, but because there's this other thing, which is if you always think I'm going to find the remedy that fixes this giant problem, yeah. you always start at square one. Whereas homeopathy is not just about the first prescription. It's about long-term case management. And the second prescription is like, it's like a chess game. And if you are constantly thinking that you're going to do everything with one masterminded move, you're forgetting that you've got pawns and you've got all these other moves to make. Yeah. You know, oh my gosh! I am so glad that you said that because that was me 
you know, a few years ago, because that was how I came out of my training, thinking this this one remedy that I'm going to give and that's going to work. And let's face it, there's probably about 5% of clients where you're going to have that. That idea of the, of the one similar, I'm so glad that I have evolved past that and I can see the bigger picture now and we need so many different remedies. And I do still have homeopaths that say to me, Look at your prescriptions. It's nuts. You're using organ support. You're using bowel nozos, using a constitutional remedy, you know, uh, tissue salts in there as well. And you're referring this person to their doctor to go and get a stool test done and, you know, these other things. And you're sending them to the chiropractor. You know, what are you doing? But really, we need an integrative approach because we're dealing with some crazy cases these days of massive suppression, massive pharmaceuticals. We've got 5G. We've got Wi-Fi. We have people addicted to their phones. We have people addicted yeah. to everything so we need all the tools that we can possibly use to Listen get to the you. best results that's fantastic that is it oh Yay. my lord <laughs> folks that's evolution listen right to there. what she says what she says <laughs> but that has been keeping a very open mind so this wasn't this wasn't the case 10 years ago 10 years ago i was like no one remedy that's it don't go see anyone else and it's through staying humble staying open-minded realizing i don't have all the answers realizing i need to if if what I learn is that what maybe not working the best, I need to stay open-minded and ask for help, ask for, you know, um, mentorship, ask, you know, ask questions to, at the end of the day, serve your patient best way that you possibly can. I love that. And that's why I'm excited about your clinical (laughs) training program, because I think your, your students are going to come out of there with much more open-minded because they're going to see and practice all these different yeah. cases. I was wondering if you have some success stories from uh, of some of your graduates that you would like to share. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding? Oh, I don't even know where to begin. You know, so this is like, oh, this is everything because that's why you do it, right? It's, it's it, well, our students joke that... Um, I always say you can never leave, right? It's like a family. It's like Italian in an mother. Italian family, if, if your kids, like if your son moves out before he's 40, then you've done something wrong. You've done right? a bad job. So, so we try to keep everyone around. So part of the success story is actually um, because we're trying to create a community of homeopathy. So not just like, it's not like a, like a diploma mill where you get people in and out. It's like, what do you need in order to do the best job that you can? And so we keep creating more and more opportunities for our students to learn and experience the world of homeopathy. And so we keep them around. So some of the success stories are about how long we keep people around, like no one really leaves. And that's important. Um, So we have created, with the Homeopathy Help Network, we've got this infrastructure now where we have all of these systems in place so that we can offer long-term mentorship. Mm. So we have our acute care internship. So students come in and they do this incredible um, uh, module of treating acute cases under the supervision primarily of Rebecca Azzarelli, who's a a dear friend. Our kids went to camp together. Um, And yeah, and now they're (laughs) 25 and whatever. But um, so she is the primary Um, acute care supervisor and she's amazing she is just she's gentle and strong and smart as can be anyway students graduate from that and then they have the opportunity to as they finish all of their sort of preparation for chronic care then they get into their chronic care externship where they're seeing their cases under they're in a pod so three to five students in a group they have one-to-one mentorship with a supervisor Mm -hmm. but they also are in this small group for discussion and so these apps that are available make it so that people can in real time be texting and supporting each other and learning from each other's experience and practices 
So I would say that the success story in some way is about how our students have helped us to build a system. But then there are the people. Like we, yeah, I'm thinking about a a handful of them. So we, we try to tell our students that like, we're not teaching you just to be a homeopath, but to be the future of homeopathy. So leadership in homeopathy. So we try to get to know our students and their skill sets so that we can help them find places where they can really do the most good. And so um, a couple of people like Rachel Bongle, um, she's incredible. Her mom at graduation came to me and she said, you know, Rachel wants to be a teacher. I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) We already knew that. She was a teacher beforehand. And so she's been doing um, student support. So anyone who's struggling with any concepts, she supports. She does one-on-one just um, remediation, helping people to just, you know, um, uh, just revisit concepts until they really have them. We've got Amy um, uh, Baglivio, who is um, on our on our supervision team. So Rachel and Amy and Kelly Callahan, who we talked about, they're on our supervision mm-hmm. team. Um, we've got a couple of our students who are now in leadership in some of the professional organizations. Jared Coggins is the vice president of the North American Society of Homeopaths. Uh, Randy Fruchter is the vice president of um, of the. Uh, CHC, which is the Council for Homeopathic Certification. Um, Parker comes to mind, Parker Pritzchuk. Mm-hmm. She, gosh, she has so many jobs with us now. She graduated uh, two or three, three years ago, maybe? She graduated three years ago, works in our research office with me. Yep. She is a brilliant marker oh of assignments and providing feedback, mm-hmm. really meaningful feedback. So students see the strengths and the weaknesses of their answers and their you know their assignments and stuff and she teaches for us she teaches, and she our teaches acad- yeah, yeah. academic integrity module yeah. so you really like to keep it in the family <laughs> like no kidding seriously well, no one if they leave i cry mm. I, it's all about me <laughs> yeah. um but with parker so one of the things that she helped us to understand because her background as a teacher in supporting students who didn't have all the resources she said well what about some of these students who are adult learners who maybe haven't been in the educational system for decades or people mm-hmm. you know who are super smart but don't have a traditional academic background how do we help them so we created this whole um, module that helps people to learn how to reference how do you write academically how do you get the support you need Brilliant. so that you can engage in this high level academic programming because that mm-hmm. if we can teach each person to do better it helps us all to present ourselves as a profession better and you can't say that only academic people can be homeopaths. You know, it's like we need to just take the people who come from different backgrounds and really cultivate the way that the, the establishment mm-hmm. asks us to participate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Now, I have watched a lot of videos on YouTube, and I have never seen that portrait behind you before. Can you please tell us about that? Is that a new addition? Yeah, Today. Or have I just been very unobservant? My, no. wrist, my wrist is very... I've been painting all day, and I'm, yeah. I'm a little... <laughs> Um, performing cataract surgery and a painter. I'm busy, very busy person. <laughs> um, this is really exciting, actually, um, because it is exciting. So that's Samuel Hahnemann, the founder of homeopathy. And um, Samuel Hahnemann was born in 1755, and he lived to 1843. And he is amazing because he was able to create a system of medicine, so an entire set of theories and principles, as well as the pharmaceutical applications. And um, so today was a bit of a bittersweet day, but an amazing day. And I think um, 
Yeah, so the story is that um, there is a, a, homeopath, a, a manufacturer of homeopathic remedies that has been here making remedies in the United States. They're part of a long tradition and lineage. I, I honestly don't know their history enough to say how long, but let's just say long. And they, they have held a lot of the history, the ephemera, and so on and so forth. And, um, and so they're consolidating their operations and moving to the West Coast. Now, a part of what they, they had in their possession was a very important library. And that library um, was the library from Julian Winston. And Julian Winston... Mm-hmm. Uh, brilliant homeopath. Brilliant uh, homeopath and historian. And um, he was American. I believe he was originally from New York, but he lived in Philadelphia for a long time. He lived in a firehouse in a part of Philadelphia called Fishtown, and he he was a collector, and he collected a lot of of remedies. He had a kit of Kent's. He had... I've had Stamphazagria 10M from that kit. (laughs) And you probably needed it. (laughs) And... um, And so his life... So Julian um, (laughs) fell in love with a homeopath from New Zealand, uh, Gwyneth, and he moved himself and all of his stuff to New Zealand. You take it from there. Uh, so I'm not sure when that was, but anyway, uh, they moved late to late '90s, I believe. They moved to Tawa, um, and uh, in Welly, in Wellyville, mm-hmm. and um, and they looked there. And I, when I, I did my, I, I, my first lecture was because I wrote a letter to him, a letter, a letter, a <laughs> letter, my mail, with uh, a stamp on it. <laughs> And I met him, and I met Gwyneth Evans, and um, and then they asked me to go teach and go teach and go teach, and 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 so I have actually slept in on the on the couch in Julian Winston's library. It was a, an amazing collection, and um, one thing led to another. He died in two thousand five, and um, you were there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was. The library itself then moved a couple of times, and it turned up down the road well but wait there's one other part which is before it found its next home here in philadelphia um it the school that we were a part of in london was in negotiation that it might move to be housed in our new york school um and so and and it and it didn't end up there which was good because we wound up having Mm -hmm. they you know things changed and whatnot so it wound up Mm -hmm. back in philadelphia which i think was the right place for it to be anyway now go back again yeah. Anyway, so actually, that portrait is not from Julian's collection. No, it's not. But Julian's. But today, I um, I was asked to go out and. This to, is how I thought. Oh, that yeah. <laughs> this is the uh, the. It's, uh, can you wait? Can I? What is it? A it's a bit hard, yeah, but tricky to see. You can't really see. Yeah, it. it's the cover of his book, The Faces of Homeopathy, and it was presented to him <laughs> with this plaque. With a plaque from the Bay of Plenty College of Homeopathy students. Aww, yeah. my alma mater. In 1999. <laughs> 1999. Isn't that amazing? That's so amazing. <laughs> and so it, it is. It made its way back here to Alistair. So wow. So um, so we have this collection. So our foundation, in addition to the other stuff that we do, we curate a library. So we have a research library, antiquarian medical books, homeopathy books, and basically the stuff that we're afraid is going to get thrown away. We're like the homeo hoarders. And so um, I have a, a dear friend who is the archivist of the Hahnemann materials in here in Philadelphia at Drexel University. And funny enough, we know each other not through homeopathy, but we met 24 years ago when our kids were babies. Our nannies were best friends. 
And so we met, and she's like, what do you do? I'm a homeopath. I'm the Hahnemann archivist. It was sort of like, oh, my gosh, you know. Anyway, so um, we, you know, we've been in touch, of course, and um, and I've gotten to do research in the collection that she archives and so forth. So we found out um, that there was this collection that included Julian's entire library that was going was going to be moved to Drexel University, and that mm-hmm. there were duplicate items that they couldn't take, and there were some of his personal items and some journals and things. And so they called us wow. to see if we wanted them. So today I drove out and packed my SUV, filled it. I didn't lift all the boxes. I had some help. But with all of these items, including that beautiful gift for Alistair. Amazing. And this painting of Hahnemann that I saw it. Absolutely amazing. And they were saying, everything on this wall is yours. And I'm looking, I'm like, not that. You know, and then, yes, that. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yes. Right. How about that? Absolutely amazing. The library, we've got a really beautiful library. The Jay, uh, Jay Yazga, um, who you might know from the I was going to ask if it was Jay Yazga, yeah. yeah. So Jay, I've got his dictionary on my desk. Oh, yeah, exactly. Jay is lovely. Yeah. I love him. Can I show <laughs> Yeah. So you... we've got, it's a bit of a mess at the moment, unfortunately. Because we've taken on so you see all the boxes. There's... Wow. Oh, I can't I that. saw your little photo that you posted on your Facebook page with you as a ghost going through the library oh, books, yeah. like coming back. <laughs> As a ghost, so you can continue reading, and I laughed so hard because that is literally what I will do. I will come and ghost all of those, you know, t- uh, archive texts. Oh. The library was tidy until this afternoon. Yeah, because I brought it a car, <laughs> literally a truckload of, of books. And so, one of the things that our foundation wow. does is um, we want all these amazing books to stay in circulation. We don't want people to recycle them. Mm-hmm. So, when someone rings us up, you know, people ring around to say who can take these books. So, if someone retires or their estate, they donate mm-hmm. these books to us and so every couple of months we get truckloads of books delivered and Mm -hmm. we actually have an intern who's yeah moving to philadelphia in a couple of months and his primary job is going to be to organize this library take all the duplicates so that they can go to students of homeopathy and best job ever right (laughs) i know i know yeah I, I was actually, um, I, don't, I don't want to use the word lucky because unfortunately two homeopaths passed away in New Zealand about 10 years ago, um, not too far away from each other, and I managed to get their collections. It was actually on Trade Me. Do you remember Trade Me, Alistair? It's like, kind of like a gum tree. And just found it on Trade Me, and it was, I think it was something like $200 for like just boxes of books and you know the people selling it obviously had no idea of the value but you know the books I like the most I, I've got a pile up there but those tiny little leaflet booklets that you get yes. and it would just be like a you know um treatment on ringworm actually that burning no. the tiny little one but it's so valuable you just find like really hidden hidden well, gems and well, the, the gems, paper's yeah. all brown and smells like marbles and it's just <laughs> yeah it's wonderful um oh. so before we we wrap up i'm a little bit sad i was i was hoping this would carry on forever and ever but you know we're going to have to do another one of these (laughs) in the very near future but your top your favorite three remedies for each of you and why and i purely do this to watch the homeopath squirm because trying to choose your three favorite remedies out of over eight thousand is so hard but for each of you what are your top three and why it's so simple for your for you any squirming at all the answer yeah totally my top remedy of all time is fair and fast <laughs> mm. Oh yeah. And well, the reason is because when you can't think of anything else, when you don't know what to do, give fair and fast. <laughs> it's it's clinical indications are um, uncharacteristic. No clear symptoms. Right. <laughs> That's it. 
But that one's a true. Cool that's one. true. My second favorite movie mm-hmm. is Bryonia because it's just amazing for me. Yeah, it's your own personal. Savior. I'm always when I've got man flu oh. and there's so much pain. That should be my favorite remedy to get you out of man flu. <laughs> Yeah, which we know is much worse than normal flu. Man oh flu is God. worse than uh, any flu you could get. Yeah, totally. totally. And I've that's got only a, two. That's only two. And my my I'll, my third would be my first uh, remedy is a favorite which got me on the path, and that was Allium Sepa. Can I? Oh, Allium Sepa. Yeah. Can I tell you a funny case thing before I it, just a homey? Of course. Okay, so um, I had this case years ago of a kid. He would have been maybe twelve, thirteen years old, and his his key symptom was buckets of snot. That's what his mom said. Buckets and buckets and buckets of snot. They would go to those big box stores and buy the, you know, the boxes of Kleenex tissues. And he would blow his nose Mm. before school, filling the bins, like two, three bins Mm. every day. I mean, it was an allium sepa case, but of course I'm thinking, Oh, what do I do? And I'm like scratching my head. I'm calling friends and they're, what's wrong with you? You know, how how homeopaths overthink things. So I gave him allium sepa, of course. And it was like five years. He would repeat it every now and again. We went up to maybe 200C. And it would have been literally five years before he needed something else. And it cracks me up because we think, it's a remedy made from onion, right? It just seemed like such an underwhelming prescription. I wanted to be fancy. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, uh, we so often get ourselves caught up in that. Hey, I remember when I first started in clinical practice and I'd be like, oh, I want to prescribe all this funny stuff. But you know what? It was polycrest 90% of the time. I got to prescribe some butterflies here and, you know, a couple of little insects over, you know, weirder insects here and there and, you know, cockroach and a housefly or whatever. But it was polycrests all the way, 90%. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, your top three, Denise? So my top three. So I guess if we're going to say remedies that helped us or that started us. So the first time I went to a homeopath, which was, you know, well after I was studying homeopathy. And um, and it's funny when I think about the questions that he asked me, because, you know, you're not supposed to ask leading questions. And, and he was like trying to get his mm-hmm. confirmatories. And he's like, do you like bacon? You know, <laughs> it's really kind of... <laughs> So phosphorus um, was was the mm-hmm. remedy that I got, and I and oh, I can so see you as a phosphorus. Yeah, absolutely. Don't you think it doesn't do anything for me? Yeah, but there was a t- oh, it doesn't. Like, no, you just have that beautiful bubbly oh. phosphorus personality. Yeah, that would have been my guess. <laughs> so it really it was my entree into the homeopathy world. So I think I have to say I mm-hmm. love that. But the other two remedies would be remedies that I think I couldn't imagine my practice without, and one is metarinum. So many kids mm. that just so many kids need that remedy, and yes, it's just amazing. So that would be one. And the third remedy, I'm glad you're saying that because I feel like I am prescribing metarinum to so many kids these days, and I'm like, am I making all of this up? But I feel like I'm giving metarinum to every second child because there's just like you know, so much stuff and no. so much ADD and just uh you know ears and nose and just green snot yeah right green snot yeah yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> that's making me feel better now I'm on the right track oh, good up all night swinging from the chandeliers it's like you know <laughs> yes 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 so that, and then I would say the third remedy is sepia and the reason is that mm. I work with um I work in a community of um orthodox folks that have a lot of babies these women who have you know, six would be on the low end, 10, 12. Wow. I've worked with women who have had 14 babies. And I'll tell you what, sepia is a remedy that just 
is magical for them. And I've just watched these mm-hmm. women just have their hormonal systems just recharged. You know, it it really helps them to, I don't know, to feel in and of themselves. And, and, it, and it's mm-hmm. a remedy that sort of, it's like their vitamin through their hormonal life. I don't know what yes. I don't know what I would do without it for some of these folks. I always joke it's the remedy when you want to kill your husband and run away from your kids. And yeah. so many mums swear by that remedy, right? myself included. It is such a great and leave remedy. your uterus behind. Who needs it? Let it fall right <laughs> out, right? So there's <laughs> yes. Oh, sorry. I mean, yes, but that's you know if we're going to talk about symptoms. And, and that, Abs- and you know what? Actually, prolapse is a big thing. We just had in our group yesterday. Somebody was asking, and women feel embarrassed to ask, "Hey, I've got a prolapse. What do I use?" And you know, so we've got to talk about these things. It's one of those remedies that is really mm-hmm. helpful. So those would be my three. So one personal that sort of was a fleeting personal love, um, but metaronium in terms of serving my clients. I reckon uh, gallium is also another big one on oh. your radar. You know? Gallium cleavers, yeah. I have just recently come upon that remedy, but it is—it's really good. Hey, I've, I just use it as an organ support for the lymphatics, along with some phytolacca and pulsatilla, all in low potency. You did say gallium, hey? Yeah, but gallium—I think you might be talking about a different one. This is the mineral remedy, gallium oh. element thirty-one. Okay. So not. Not the okay. plant. There is a gallium which is made from cleaver. Oh, the plant. Yeah, yeah that's so the one I was talking about. Sorry, you mean gallium the mineral? Gallium the mineral, and it's um, mm-hmm. the proving was done uh, a, a while ago and published. One of my friends did the did the publication, um, and that remedy we have had heaps of cases, s- amazing results, unbelievable. Really? It's a. I'll tell you for homeopaths who might be listening. Um, you can get the proving at dynamis.edu. It was one of Jeremy Scher's provings. Um, and you'll see if you download the provings, if you buy provings on dynamis.edu, I think they're like seven or eight American dollars, right? So inexpensive. Mm-hmm. It's all for their charity and it funds homeopathy for health in Africa. This proving, this is a polycrest of of still undiscovered proportions. We've had half dozen cases in the last two years in our teaching clinic alone. I have a case, in fact, if I had to say my favorite case ever, this is a child, um, well, she's now 18, 19 years old, but she suffered from a severe head injury when she was maybe 14. She was bedridden for four years, so literally didn't leave the house. And um, I just have been working her case little by little over the years. And about three months ago, gave her gallium. And I have a video of her. She sent me a video. She was out of the house smiling. She was crying with happiness wow. and being able to get up. It was like the book, The Secret Garden. Remember that that children's mm-hmm. story? And she's and she's doing so well now. That that remedy is just amazing. In fact. I, I renege, I take back from my top three. I will replace my <laughs> my fleeting relationship with phosphorus with gallium. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> okay. okay. No wow, well, you've just dropped a bomb here for me because I'm going to go and um, hop on the Dynamis website right yes. after this. And um, yeah, definitely go and have a read. Read the part mm-hmm. about going forwards and backwards, element 31 mm-hmm. and the number 13. There are these beautiful images. It's a fantastic proving. Wow. Now, please give us a rundown of how people can get in touch with you. Where are all the different places that you engaged, engage online? And um, yeah. Yes. Yes and yes. So AHE, our school, the Academy of Homeopathy Education. Mm-hmm. So we do full-time and part-time programs and this huge clinical offering and research and all that. Now, can I just say that were you to be in uh, West Australia... You can still study. 
Yes. Because we've exactly. got full-time, we've got part-time, we're live online, we're blended, and critically, mm-hmm. clinical training lands at a good time for you folks. Yeah. Same mm-hmm. with the East Coast, even the Kiwis, we've got a couple of Kiwis we in do. our We do, we have a couple of Kiwis. We've got the Frenchies, we've got yes. the folks from yeah, France. Yeah, we have people in mainland Europe, we've, we've got, got Puerto people Rico, in the UK, yeah, UK, Alaska, so around East the Coast, world. West Coast, it, we mm-hmm. don't have, I don't know that the time zones work for Asia. Well, we have Kuala Lumpur. Which oh, we've got Kuala Lumpur, but yeah, that's so on the same 12, time zone as Perth. Yeah, 12 hours. Anyway, so... I yeah, which is great, actually. Yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we teach... So because we run seven contemporaneous cohorts, we teach in the morning and the evening in the U.S., which is just flip, the opposite. So there are opportunities um, for people all around the world to join in with us. Can I also just say that if you want an experience... If you were a practitioner, you might even be qualified. Who Who knows? Um, but you want to um, go deep with acutes. Ah, so this internship. So this is something that's really important. Mm-hmm. So um, when we founded the Homeopathy Help Network, um, and it's been just growing and expanding, and we are now. So we have a goal. Our one of our goals is to conduct outcomes-based research that is has so many numbers that no one can say this doesn't work. And our goal is 5,000 cases a year for five years. So 25,000 cases, a five-year case study, out looking at outcomes. And there's nobody who's going to say that's 25,000 placebo cases of like kids. Yeah. Right? I mean, and in acute, it's not chronics, but really just looking at, mm-hmm. you know, this is what happened, this is what the intervention was, and this is what the outcome was. Mm-hmm. And so um, we have been able to expand this acute care internship to include um, folks from around the world who really need to or want to just practice this other skill set of seeing lots of acutes because it's different mm-hmm. right when we get into our chronic it's absolutely different so mm-hmm. please reach out to us because one of the things we want to mm-hmm. do is be able to serve people in other time zones so having folks mm-hmm. from you know the southern hemisphere that would be really beneficial to us there's full training involved there's supervision involved there's mm-hmm. um we have um remediation if you need to just um do revision on acute training mm-hmm. and so forth yeah remediation so any homeopaths oh, listening to this any homeopaths listening to this, absolutely get in touch with you guys. Yeah. Totally. So there are a couple ways you can reach us. So there's ahe.online. And that gets you through mm-hmm. to just our main school website. Um, for information about our internship, that's hello at homeopathyhelpnow.com. Hello. 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 <laughs> um, and, you know, and then we have Home Foundation, and that's our charity. And so, um, you know, we are really trying to just get as many people as possible involved in a community of homeopaths. And so our charity is called Home Foundation. It's spelled H-O-H-M. And we'll have a new website actually launching probably by... Two weeks. In two weeks, do you think? Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. And um, so home, what it means is... um, It's okay. It'll be another week before the podcasts go out, so you'll have three weeks. (laughs) Oh, right. So that's why we're trying to... So um, we chose the word home because um, we wanted to be the home, like so the like home, like your place um, for homeopathy, and we spelled it H O H M because you know the beginning of homeopathy, but also Om. So Om as the sound of oh. universal resonance, and so it's it's your home and it's the place where you can resonate with everyone around you. Oh, I and, love um, it. Yeah, so we really want it to be a place for everyone. We don't want it to just be for, you know, students and graduates of our program, but rather to be for everyone. We we want to find a place. So if you have something that you want to do in homeopathy, 
we want to be able to facilitate that. So um, we do. So we have our you know clinical offerings through the Homeopathy Help Network. Um, we raise money for scholarships. We try to make homeopathy education affordable to anyone who's committed Beautiful. to that study. We conduct research. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned our outcomes-based research. Um, Al is working on educational research. He's about to become Dr. Alistair Gray. We'll have to all kind of, you know, when he gets that qualification <laughs> soon. And then we do historical research, and that's something that both of mm-hmm. us are very much interested in. That's, that's really mm-hmm. my passion. And then, of mm-hmm. course, um, our library. And so mm-hmm. anyone who's interested in participating in homeopathy in that way, you know, please reach out to us. We do our best to just find places for people to feel like they have community. Yeah. You really are a one-stop shop. <laughs> Denise and Alistair, you guys are so generous with your time. I know it's getting very late where you are and you have done this podcast right on the back of a Zoom call um, and you are, have such busy lives, but you took the time to come and have a chat with us and share your passion with us. And I want to thank you so much for that and um, I'm so excited to see you know where your where your school goes and the amazing work that you guys are going to do and thank you with all my heart thank you for um for inviting us it is it's just so much fun to get to share homeopathy with people we love Mm -hmm. it it's really fun Mm -hmm. yeah talk about homeopathy yeah love it (laughs) exactly love it um have a wonderful evening guys thank you so much for your time see you see you bye